So, Lloyd, you graduated Lakewood, right? Yes, sir. What are you going to do now? Yeah, Lloyd. What are your plans for the future? Spend as much time as possible with Diane before uh, she leaves. Seriously, Lloyd. I'm totally and completely serious. No, really. You mean my career? Um, I don't know. I've, I've <clears throat> thought about this quite a bit, sir, and I, I would have to say, considering what's waiting out there for me, I don't want to sell anything, buy anything, or process anything as a career. I don't want to sell anything bought or processed, or buy anything sold or processed, or process anything sold, bought or processed, or repair anything sold, bought, or processed. You know, as a career, I don't want to do that. So, uh, my father's in the Army. He wants me to join, but I can't work for that corporation. Um, so, what I've been doing lately is kickboxing. Which is a, uh, new sport, but I think it's got a good future. As far as career longevity, I don't really know, because, you know, you can't really tell. If you're eight and six as a fighter, you know, it's no good. You know, you have to be great. But I can't really tell if I'm great until I've had a couple of pro fights. But I haven't been knocked down yet. I don't know. I can't figure it all out tonight, so I'm just going to hang with your daughter. Lifers Podcast with Scott Lucas, Gabe Rodriguez, and Ben Reiser. And now, here's Scott, Gabe, and Ben. How's Karen, how's Karen doing with the tree? Karen's fine with the tree. She has to move her cage a little bit, but... Uh... You know, she's good with the tree. It's cozy over there. Like a little wolf den. And she, it's not a real tree, so she's not tempted to, to pee near it. I don't think she pees on trees. Hmm. It's not, it's, it's not, she doesn't wait for the tree. She just goes, here I am. There's some grass. I'm doing it. Yeah, I, she never peed on a tree. Do I dogs think that's pee not on much trees? A, well, not girl dogs, but, but boy dogs do. They like to lift their leg and hit the tree. Yeah. All right, well, we're off to a <laughs> running start here. <laughs> so, yeah, Thanksgiving is over. Now it's time for Christmas, right? Uh, you know, Ben was, uh, Ben, you were really good the other night at the uh, reception. You uh, you did your first karaoke? Was that what that was? It was my first ever karaoke. But I have to say, I, I would never want, like having done a live band karaoke now, I never want to do a regular karaoke. We had live band karaoke, and, and Ben got up there and did uh, Can't Hardly Wait by The Replacements. Now, it wasn't, it wasn't Bark at the Moon, but uh, you nailed it pretty good. Thank you. Joe Shannon was like, who's that? I, well, maybe I can get a gig at Metro. Yeah, maybe. Can. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, did you hear that I dedicated it to Gabe? Yes. I got up and I said, this is for absent friends. This goes out to Gabe Rodriguez. And then I sang it's another dedication I didn't get to be a part of. Like the oh. happy birthday at the Metro that day, I was downstairs, I didn't hear it. And Ben's tribute, tribute, 
Backhanded tribute. Yeah. <laughs> Gabe, what song would you have done? I, d- I actually don't know. Uh, let me think. Uh, she's got have balls. You, <laughs> <laughs> have you ever done ka- karaoke before? Just once. I was on the road with, with you guys, and uh, we were after, at an after show thing, and there was a young lady there that dragged me up and did stop dragging my heart around. I think I told this before, but it's the only time I ever did it. You did stop dragging my heart around? Yes. I was the male version portion. <laughs> and she was not and I was embarrassed as hell and I was sweating like I was a 12 year old boy yeah Justine and I do stop dragging my heart around and she makes me do the Stevie Nicks part and uh, <laughs> oh, never again we've done it a couple of times and it's worked out but the last time it was bad I don't know karaoke uh, I, I think I should stop karaoke is just not my uh, forte should I, I say I, I, people probably want to know what did Scott do, and he fucking did Let's Dance. You good. killed it. You were great. Let's Dance was fantastic, man. Yeah, and it should have stopped there, but then uh, we decided to push, push, push my luck, and we did uh, Man in the Box, and that was not <laughs> fantastic. It was pretty fantastic. It was a great end to the night. That was a, a, a fitting final number. Yeah, uh, but I will say the the, the guy who blew me away. Uh, was Herb Rosen. Oh, yeah? He, he did War Pigs, and it was pretty fucking great. Oh, that's right. He did War Pigs. <laughs> I forgot all about that. Because I know, he, he did two songs. He yeah. did uh, uh, I Can't Help Falling in Love With You. He also and, got up for maybe three other people's songs and did backup vocals or, and or comedies <laughs> and stuff. He was, he was a constant on stage. Yeah, it's, it's, hard to keep, it's hard to keep Herb Rosen down once karaoke starts... I thought Herb was the exact right amount of whatever Herb is that night. Yeah. You showed up a little late. Well, I don't, I don't know about that, but I mean, whatever, whatever intake he was intaking, I thought he, he hit like a perfect mark of like... Yeah, he showed up a little late. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Right, gotcha. Yeah. yeah, it was good. It was all right. Some, some good performances. This was um, your this was your hometown reception for your wedding that was out out of out of state. So people right. who were home who couldn't make the destination wedding came out and did in celebration. Now, 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 who are you doing all this for? That of this talking that you're doing right now? Is I'm it, doing it for the people that don't understand what yeah. you're talking about because you started in on it and didn't mention that this was it's, your reception for your wedding that was for hometown people. It's a fucking pro move. Uh, <laughs> But it just—it's funny when you do it. I, 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 like from, to, I like to point out that it's happening when you—you know—you <laughs> actually do it. I, I, I have a reminiscence, or a, a, I feel like I'm Kramer in the episode where he—he's got the Merv Griffin set on his on, yeah. in his house. It's my favorite episode. Yeah, that's great. It, it's funny because when we first started this podcasting thing, I thought I was going to be the one having to do that sort of explain things for the outsiders, yes. and I that and w- I wind up never doing it. I go down a rabbit hole faster than yeah. anyone, and it's usually one of you two guys saying, right. uh, "For those of you listening at home, we're talking about something in the back of this room, and there's you know." Yeah. Yeah, that was supposed to be your hats. job, Ben. That that's what you were here for. It's a flu- it's, it's a fluid situation. That's okay. Gabe likes to pick up the mantle. Yeah, yeah. Gabe needs to earn his. his, uh, his so pay. I just finished watching uh, Get Back. Uh, I've in fact started it over again, so it's it's starting from the beginning uh, right now. Just finished it. I watched the first episode yesterday morning, and then. Um, 
went and had dinner and then I came back and blazed through the second episode and got about halfway through the third thought I'm going to do this I'm going to make it and then I had to tap out before they get on the roof so I finished it today Gabe have you watched it not yet <clears throat> I, I I gotta find somebody's or just buy it or whatever log in and I, th- uh, I think there's they're giving it away for a month today for like a dollar 99 today only Mm, maybe today only. They'll probably right. still do it for tomorrow. I can hook they, you up. They, they, over, over, over Thanksgiving, they tried to. <laughs> That's uh, John Lennon from his grave. He wants to have a word with you about Get Back. Dude, cut it out, man. Go somewhere else. Holy shit. Sounds more like a... I was going to say Yoko. Michael Lindsay Hogg. <laughs> sounds more like uh, Heather, Heather, uh, Heather McCartney or whatever. Yeah. Giving yeah. <laughs> Yoko a run for her money. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty good. I mean, I, I, I honestly, you know, I don't see how it is for everybody, Mm-mm. you know, but uh, it, it's definitely for me, you know. Um, but yeah, exhaustive. Is is a pretty pretty good word, but I could watch you know four more hours of it at least. Gabe, what did it, you think? I didn't watch it yet. Oh, you haven't seen it. Yeah, yet. I haven't seen it yet. So don't blow it for me. But I, I know what happens. That's too bad. I know what happens. But I did just they break realize, up. I just realized that that's not their last recording session that they did. They did yeah. Abbey Road after that. Now you didn't know that. Well, who knows? I was born in '71. Not like you people over there. <laughs> Pre '71 people. Hey, they broke up before I was born. What you're saying is no excuse. There's no excuse for it. But Gabe, I'll let you know that one exciting thing about Get Back is you get to see them. <laughs> Fucking hey, man. Uh, you hear them uh, creating a bunch of those Abbey Road songs. Like all of side two of Abbey Road comes into play at some point in Get Back. Right, Scott? Yeah. Right? They're doing uh, Maxwell's Silver Hammer. They're doing a longer version of Mean Mr. Mustard that I'd never heard before. Um, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. But yeah, that's the thing. A lot of people think, oh yeah, that longer version of Her Majesty is pretty great. A lot of and Octopus's Garden, that, that whole bit is pretty cool. Which I I never knew that Ringo actually wrote that. Did you know that game? It sounds like something that if Paul or John didn't write it, that would be the one that was it. I didn't think Ringo wrote songs. I thought they wrote songs for Ringo. I think they did write songs for Ringo, but he might yes, have had a hand in them and didn't get credit. He doesn't have credit on that, does he? Yes. No. That's Star? Starkey? Richard Starkey. I thought it said Lennon McCartney on all his songs. It's, but here, uh, it said it in the movie. That's one of the annoying things about it. They keep putting the... When they play a song, they put up what song it is and who the writers are, and I'm just like, ugh, we get even it. Even if they're just these imaginary fragments that you never hear again. Right, anymore. right. But... One thing about one thing that I didn't know, uh, they all seem to call him Richie throughout most of this. Yeah, like they didn't call him Ringo. Well, no. this asshole Michael Lindsay Hogg calls everyone by their initials, so it's like R S and P M. Wow, Michael Lindsay really got got under your skin, huh? He, what did he not get under your skin? No, he was a lot younger than I thought he'd be, but but um, yeah, not really. Hmm. Okay. You were very Not really. tolerant. You know what I thought was interesting was that he kept pushing for that, for them to play in that Coliseum. Yeah, and they're like, the ruins. And George was like, I don't want to do that. And, you know, and then 
cut to a couple of years later and Pink Floyd's like, yeah, we'll do that. Yeah. You know, <laughs> they must have been at Abbey Road and they're like, yeah, they want to explain the ruins. Fucking bullshit. And they go, hmm, that sounds like a good idea. Uh, it was fun to see Alan Parsons. I, I enjoyed that. Uh, it's fun to see them mess around with the, the stylophone. The Eye um, in the Sky? Eye in the Sky, yeah. He worked at Abbey Road. Did you know he was the uh, he was the engineer on on uh, Dark Side of the Moon? Who knows this stuff? Nobody knows anything about Alan Parsons. Alan he Parsons, was, yeah, that's he, he was he, the uh, he was the tape operator. But I, one thing that was fascinating to me was sort of how kind of not cheap, but I mean, it was sort of it was kind of some of it was low rent. They were you know the equipment. They were so oh yeah, I guess we should bring in some record, recording equipment. Yeah. I guess we should set this stuff up, but it wasn't. They had that guy that's making all that crazy stuff. (laughs) And then they had that prototype of that guitar that was a guitar on one side and a bass on the other, and you'd flip, you'd twirl the neck around. Yeah. That's an interesting concept. Yeah, I don't think that one ever got off the ground. No. I don't know, guys. Great times we're living in. (laughs) Good times. I mean, it, 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 that's the thing is I know um, that this is supposed to, Let It Be is supposed to be a le- lesser record. I know that, you know, these are songs aren't supposed to be up to snuff, but I've always loved this record and, and I still do. And so um, I don't mind hearing these songs over and over and over. Um, I mean, I think those, those last three records are my favorite Beatles records. And those are the ones that I listen to all the time. What about you, Gabe? What did you think of the movie? <laughs> the one thing I'd learned, I've been, you know, watching interviews and stuff, people talking about them, but they re- they wrote within a 12-month calendar year, Help, Rubber Soul, and Revolver. Wrote and recorded three albums, those classic albums in one year. I'm sorry, what? I wasn't listening. Yes, you were. Help, Rubber Soul and Revolver. Were recorded and written within a calendar year of each other. Well, that's when they had a manager. And here they don't have a manager. So they wrote uh, six songs within a calendar year. (laughs) (laughs) But they do seem like they're in a panic because it's been five months since they released a record of any kind. All right. I I thought was kind of funny. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, Alan Parsons is in there, Gabe. Did you know that if you listen to the very end of Dark Side of the Moon and you hear, listen to those heartbeats and you crank it up, you can hear a Muzak version of Ticket to Ride playing just as those heartbeats fade out. Because what they must have done is they must have recorded over, they must have erased a tape of Beatles Muzak recordings and just recorded over that. And so there's a little bit of bleed did you know that, Gabe? No, I didn't. But uh, I didn't know there was such thing as Muzak that early. <laughs> and I don't think you're telling me the truth anymore. I think you made it up. <laughs> it's, the total, it's the truth. Listen to the end of it. Well, maybe they oh. didn't take the tape of some Muzak of a Beatles song and play over it and record over it. No, but maybe they... Well, they, they recorded the... They recorded that record at Abbey Road. So what do you think happened? 
it's just it's just a coincidence. It's how is it a coincidence? They're at Abbey Road. They're using tape at Abbey Road. Give me that tape. We've erased over it. No one needs this. Go ahead. It's probably all early. What, what else version. is there? You think they re, you think they recorded a Muzak version of Ticket to the Ride and and put it on there? Is that what you think happened? Cuz that's crazy, my friend. I don't know. I'll have to listen. If I ever get a ch- chance to play what? Dark Side of the Moon at the end. <laughs> I don't even own the record. I heard it enough on the bus. Oh, then you must have heard that. No, all I'm thinking is the heartbeats, and then it comes into whatever us and them. Is that what it does? No, it's speak to me. And you, okay. I, I don't want to talk to you anymore. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, what else we got here? Short Eyes on Criterion Channel. I recommend Now, what the hell is Short Eyes? It's from 1977. It's a gritty New York City prison drama. Ooh, so it's probably leaving tonight. Oh. I think all the New York movies are leaving tonight. I don't know if it actually fell under the New York City thing. I don't know that they're all leaving. Uh, But it stars Bruce Davison as a uh, child molester. Oh. Who finds his way into general population. Oh. Uh, It's pretty great. Oh, it sounds great. Yeah. Sounds really good. Was it better than Bruce Davison in uh, Longtime Companion? Uh, uh, no, but it's, I think it, th- this feels like it must be like his first or near first screen appearance. He's probably. very, very young, very young probably. Bruce Davison. And he probably, it's kind of hard to bounce back from uh, playing a child molester. Um, it, it takes a while to like, what was that guy's name who played the child molester in Happiness? And Dylan Baker. Mm-hmm. And he kind of doesn't work anymore. I mean, he's so good in that movie. It's like, yeah, you, you, you're not employable. What about that dude uh, who wrote and directed, and did he also star in Powder? Turned out to be a child molester. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, uh, what's that guy's name? He did uh, Jeepers Creepers. Yeah. Yeah. He's great. I mean, <laughs> he's not great. Victor Salva. Victor Salva. Uh, music in Powder by Jerry Goldsmith. I gotta go. Oh, gotta go I never to saw Powder. How oh, about really? you, Gabe? You saw no, Powder, but right? What I have been watching, Uh-oh, I've been watching go. this uh, this series on Netflix, the one with Kevin Hart and Wesley Snipes. The oh, is it good? I like it. It's good. It's called I True, watch it. True Story, something like that. True Story. I want to watch it. It's pretty good. It's a short series, and I'm on episode six, so don't tell me what happens at the end if you've seen it. But uh, I haven't seen it. It's pretty good. I think I think you might like it. I'm recommending it. What's your favorite Wesley Snipes movie? Oh, I don't know. New Jack City. Any. I couldn't New name Jack any. City. Was he in it? Yeah, he's in New Jack City. <laughs> Come on, G. I'm, ben, I'm, did I'm, you know that Gabe's nickname used to be G Money? It still I did is. Not. Oh, oh, it still is. Yeah, after New Jack City. Is it? I would tell you the story when I went to see New Jack City. Mm-mm. Uh, in Chicago at this place called the Chestnut Station. And uh, it was where, uh, you know, all the black movies in the 90s would play. 
So I would have to go there if I wanted to see, you know, house party or, you know, stuff like that. Um, and that was the only place that New Jack City was playing. So I went there and it was packed and I'm for real the only white guy in there. And I'm sitting in the back and they get to that part where Nino Brown is saying, you know, what are you coming at me for? You know, all, all the drugs and the guns, they, they didn't come from the hood. They came from out there, you know, go out there and get them. And there's this guy up front and he starts yelling. He goes, that's right. That's right. Those white motherfuckers. That's right. And I'm like thinking, uh oh. And then the movie ends and, uh, you know, and everyone loves it. And it's a great movie. And this guy up front, he stands up, jumps up out of his seat and then he turns around and he goes, now that's right. Let's go out there and get all those white motherfuckers. And I went, time to go. And I got up and I ran out of there. I usually stay and watch the credits, not that time. But they all went, yeah. And I was like, yeah, I'm, I should probably go. I'm not wanted here. Not here. Same exact thing happened to me and Jim Healy in a Chicago suburb seeing that Christopher Nolan space movie. What's it called? Interspace. Not- no, not no. interspace, interstellar. <laughs> interstellar. Yeah. Jim got into a fight with these two guys wearing, um, like they'd just come from a deer hunt, it seemed. Oh, yeah? Uh, and uh, they were on their cell phone at the start of the movie, and Jim stood up and told them to turn the fucking cell phones off. And they, they stood up, turned back at us. We were like four rows behind them, and I think the guy spit at us. And I was like, these Ooh. guys are going to fucking beat the shit out of us after this movie. So the whole movie was ruined for me, because uh, the whole time I'm like, well... I got Here two comes, hours left to live. Here comes my ass kicking. Yeah. <laughs> I went with a friend to see Child's Play when it came out when we were in high school. And he had been going through some stuff, which I didn't know about. And it's packed, of course. And uh, it gets to this really scary scene. It's packed, of course, because it was opening night. Uh, but this really scary scene where you're just about to find out whether or not Chucky is actually real or not you know and everyone's it's tense it's tense and so this guy next to me that had come with he stands up and turns around and i thought he was gonna like go don't worry everybody it's only a movie you know just something stupid that's kind of stuff he used to do Uh he turns around he yells he goes the next one of you fucking assholes that throws something at my head i'm gonna kick your motherfucking ass and then he turns around he sits down and I was like, what did you just do? And then the whole audience goes, ooh, and starts laughing at him and yelling. I was like, sit your motherfucking ass down. And I was just like, oh, we're going to die. We're just totally going to die. But, uh, yeah, that was a pretty good one. That was a pretty good movie experience. I know what you mean. Yeah. What about you, Gabe? You ever you ever get into it? No, the but movies? remember back in the, in, in the high school or – early 20 years we used to go to movies all the time and, and we'd you'd go you'd take it to some bad movies remember and i would always say i would always say one of these days i'm gonna stand up and just say fuck this and walk out and i wanted to do it so bad and get shorty but i never did i, I always that's one of my regrets i never did it that's the worst movie ever made by the way you know that wow no it's not. Get, get shorty is just fine Oh, that's a horrible movie. Horrible There's nothing movie. wrong with Get You should see the sequel. That's, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's bad. You know what? I did that the other day with Dune. I <laughs> you did. didn't get I, up and say, fuck this. I said, fuck this. I got up and I said, fuck this. And I walked right out. <laughs> see, that's the difference between you and me, Gabe. 
You think about these things, <laughs> and then I do them. I don't go to movies. I haven't been to a theater in four years, five years. Four? When was the last movie you saw in theater? I saw the Harriet Tubman <laughs> uh, movie. Which one was it called? What's it called? Uh, what? Underground Railroad, whatever it was called. You know what I'm talking about. Did you lose a bet or something? No, I wanted to see it. Huh. Really? I, I think it, the last movie you went to see wasn't Dumb and Dumber 2? No. That was in Woodstock, Illinois with you and Ryan. Yeah, you weren't too happy about that one either. <laughs> that was pretty bad. I mean, That's the great. First one, the first one was okay. You know, it's funny. But the second one, no. You, you, can't, you can't do two of those. It was brilliant. <laughs> it was brilliant. <laughs> Ryan and I are laughing our asses off all through this movie, and Gabe just keeps looking at us like, what is wrong with you assholes? And just getting madder and madder. And just like, why am I here? <laughs> I don't know. I, I, Maybe if I was 14 and I'd get the fart jokes and the stuff, but come on. Oh, yeah, you're, you're much more, you're too sophisticated for that, huh? <laughs> and now they're what, over your head. What, what, what bad movies did I take you to? What bad movies did I make you go see? Well, that was Name, one of them. Get Shorty. Yes, that was for sure one of them. I, okay. I, I don't know. We, we saw movies before that weren't, weren't the best, and I might have fallen asleep and didn't say anything. And they were always my idea? We wouldn't go see a movie I wanted to see. Well, you didn't want to see anything. Right, I'm not a big movie guy. I only went just to hang out. I was just there. So then what did you care? What did you care if the movie was good or bad? You were just there to hang out anyway. You're only there because you appreciate the fine music, as they say at the beginning of Diner. Mickey Rourke's classic line. Have you ever seen Diner, Gabe? No. I saw... (laughs) He's proud it's, uh, of it. M- Mel, uh, Michelle Pfeiffer and Al Pacino. What's that movie? <laughs> Frankie What's that and Johnny. Frankie and Johnny. It's oh. the closest thing to Diner I've seen. Did we go see that together? <laughs> Probably. I only think it sounds like Diner because she works at a diner, right? Sure. I don't think I don't think Frankie and Johnny was a good movie, though. It's Michelle Pfeiffer. Yeah, I know. It's all but it needs to be said. It wasn't a good movie. Doesn't matter. You think hmm. uh, Michelle Pfeiffer is related to Mackay Pfeiffer? Is, I didn't know there was a person named Mackay Pfeiffer. This ain't no Michelle Pfeiffer. This ain't no Mackay Pfeiffer. I don't know. You know, what's a better question? Is, Mich- is Michelle Pfeiffer related to Jules Pfeiffer? That's a great question. Do you know that, Ben? I mean, I don't think she is, but God, it would be great if they were, if they were related. Can you imagine? I can. I can imagine. <laughs> Did you know Jeff Goldblum is in Powder? I, I've heard he's into powder. <laughs> <laughs> and Lance Hendrickson, by the way. Oh, Lance Hendrickson. Hendrickson. What a great, no great actor. Yeah. Hendrickson. Yeah. What a great actor. A, a favorite of uh, Catherine Bigelow, which uh, we'll bring up Catherine Bigelow later when we start talking to Steve. Oh, yeah? Does he have a yeah. Bigelow connection? He has, he has a Bigelow connection. Oh, you he remember was... Uh... What? He was in a movie, right? Right. Douche Bigelow. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, know, you know who we're talking to today, right, Gabe? Actually, I don't know. I didn't put the connection together. A guy named Steve. I don't know, I don't know who, how I should know him. I'll probably be reminded somewhere. He was in Season of Risk. The band? Yeah. I'll have to 
I'll have to see. I'll have to talk. I, 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 you didn't say it in the email. You just said, here's the guy we're doing our next episode with. I didn't put the connection together. I thought you would Google it. <laughs> Usually you give me a link or something and say, here's his information. Is, is that what you want me to do from now, from now on? Your, your goddamn thumbs are broken? No, but just because you give me a guy's name and that doesn't mean I can Google it and find it. I mean, it could be. Yes, yes, it does. That's exactly what it means. <laughs> I did Google him, and I, the first thing I thought was, oh, okay, this guy's right in Gabe's wheelhouse. Gabe's wheelhouse. Yes. Well, both of your wheelhouses. Yes. But I thought for sure Gabe would be a big fan. Well, it's not that I'm not a big fan. I just didn't know who he was. I didn't get a chance to look him up. I worked. Who, who else are you a big yesterday? fan of that you don't really know who they are? I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what he's doing. Yeah, but so, yes, it's Steve from Season of Risk. Which oh, member yes. was he? Was he the singer or the drummer? The singer. Okay. But it's been 20 years since I even heard the Season of Risk name come up. You know, I, I, it's, it's off of my radar. You know, you say that all the time. You say that it's been at least 20 years. <laughs> now, is it 20 years or is that just your go-to on everything? It's my go-to. Today, today, my wife, Heidi, she, she wears my Sam Haynes shirt. Now, I got this Sam Haynes shirt when I was 16. So you're saying Heidi's a poser? No. This shirt, I, it's a medium. I haven't worn a medium shirt in 30-something years. That's my go-to, 30 years. But she, when she wears it, it's got the Glenn Danzig with the blood coming down his face and the other guy's eerie vibe. Yeah, you know, with the, yeah. You know, when your wife wears that shirt around the house, you, you got to say, hey, just mad props here. You know, you can pull that off. I can't anymore. I, I don't fit into it anymore. I've got your other Sam Hain medium. But you never wear it. Oh, I did for a long time. And then um, <laughs> something happened to it. I don't know. I, I, I can't wear a medium anymore. I gave you that shirt, didn't I? Yeah. Or did you take it? You weren't wearing it. Well, that doesn't mean that you can just have free rain on it and just take All right. stuff from the Listen, I didn't take it. Okay. You gave it to me. We were living together, and uh, I didn't take it. In fact, I, I wore it during that photo shoot when they, the Tribune came over to our house. It was the Sun-Times. They came over to our place and wanted to see how we, how we were living. Remember There's that? a picture of you with a Sam Haynes shirt in the Chicago Tribune? Or the Sun Times. One of the two. I, I got to find this. I don't remember the shirt making it, making the cut. I remember giving you the shirt though. Okay, so you remember giving it to me. Why are you giving me shit then? Well, now that we're talking about it, I remember it. I, you know, ten minutes ago I didn't remember. <laughs> <laughs> ten minutes ago, you were ready to accuse me of ransacking your closet just because I don't wear it. <laughs> doesn't mean you can just take my stuff. It takes a while for me to remember things sometimes. Yeah. You know, Glenn Johns looks like, uh, looks like, uh, oh, fuck, what's his name? From uh, Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. Z-Man. He's got a Z-Man vibe going on. Mm-hmm. I just realized it. I just looked up. I'm like, is that Z-Man? No, it's Glenn Johns. But uh, John Lennon is playing the six-string bass. And Paul is looking at him like, I can't handle this anymore. I've got to get out of here. Well, somebody, well, actually, Mark, who was on the podcast, uh, does not. Oh, buy, no, no. I'm sorry. Not. Somebody else said, Giles is wrong. That's not John on bass. After watching the Get Back movie, John can barely play the bass. That's Paul. 
if John John's one of the best rhythm guitar players of all time. If you can play rhythm guitar, you can play the bass. They're, you know. What do you think? Who do you think Alan Parsons looks like? Alan Parsons. I mean, there's something about the look on that guy. Like, that guy really thinks he got a raw deal in life. Like, he thinks that he didn't get enough credit for whatever he did on Dark Side of the Moon. So then he thought he could turn around and do Dark Side of the Moon by himself. It's like, it's not that easy, is it, buddy? I like that Games People Play song. Yeah, but it's no Dark Side of the Moon. No, no, no. Of course not. I mean, I had iRobot. And I was like, some of this is good. Some of this is straight up garbage. <laughs> mm-hmm. Games people play. You like that one, Gabe? Did you know that was Alan Parsons' project? I bet you didn't. He's got that look on his face. You can always tell when Gabe's going. <laughs> Wait a minute, and he's looking I'm around. I'm thinking of the Spinner song. <laughs> Games people, you know that song? No. What's isn't there a song? Games people play by the Spinners. Games people play in the middle of the night. No, that's not one. In the middle of the night. That's better. Yeah. That'd be a pretty good karaoke song right there. Hold on. That's Alan Parsons? No. <laughs> it's Alan Parsons' project. Who's Alan? So, oh, this song. Oh, this is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is horrible. Oh, my God. The turn of a friendly card. See, being Pink Floyd isn't as easy as it looks. <laughs> I could have went another 30 years without hearing this song. And now you broke my streak. Oh, here we go. Come on, everybody, get those feet up. This is, in its own way, kind of a funky little Motown number. Yeah, it's about as funky as a... <laughs> funky as P, as in Parsons. I could have lived 25 years without hearing this. Nugget. About as funky as an aerobics class. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, this can get pretty funky. Well, here is this? 81? Why is there no wow. pictures and video of Alan Parsons? What does he nobody, look Because like? nobody wants to see Alan Parsons. Well, if you if you watch the Beatles documentary, you'll yeah. you'll see him. Hey, everybody! It's Steve Tulipana, Tulipana, Tulip. What is it? I just call you Tulip. You can call me whatever you like. How Sorry. are you? Seriously, I, I don't care how people pronounce it. It's always <laughs> been a thing. Are you okay? Uh, yeah, I was doing all right. It's just been a really stressfully weird day. Then all of a sudden, I got. Uh, piled on real quick and it's stressful things vaccination shit uh, door staff texting and right so you've got something at record bar tonight that's called the harry potter wizard fest was that is that the reason for all your uh agitation that is one of the things um that is keeps out of the blue uh, yeah there are people that uh are mad because they're not vaccinated and we're not letting them in and there uh and i also had a double booking that's announcing tomorrow that it's just a just a ball drop that i'm trying to juggle right what what is the harry potter wizard fest wizard fest is a uh, <laughs> it looked pretty fun when they were setting up there yeah uh, yeah i uh yeah it's like a cosplay party they've got like uh they got wizards there. Seems like the perfect event to have somebody at the door dressed up like some fucking wizard with the vaccine thing and yeah, right? people in the arms as they come in. That'd be the best. Best. Uh, um, it's 
we are in our, our city um, repealed its mask mandate recently and a lot of the clubs have gone to okay whatever the artists want and that's kind of where we just went to and so we're juggling yeah. how things are done what are the best and the weird thing is you're having these bands that you know everybody's like have to be vaccinated you have to have cards and we can only do this and and that's we were on that boat you know from the get-go um and then all the promoters and all of the uh, booking agents and the bands are like we got to do it this but but as soon as they get into a town where it's doesn't have a strict policies then and then the people that live here are like you know coming up and like well you know that it says the, the city doesn't have you know it's just just weird times and right people uh everybody wants it their way and you just have to have some solid deals and at the beginning of the night i was talking to the promoter he said uh i said okay you guys want us to check fax cards he goes yep and i go all right this is my guy that's going to do that and then of course they get some people coming up to want refunds because it's their ticketed show it's an outside promoter they don't want to go oh, i gotta give people their money back right right i mean did, did did you get pushback on that policy from the beginning was there always people who were like fuck this i'm not coming to the show i i started saving up some of the hate mail like i was gonna you know save all the hate mail and it out there but i just yeah it was pretty brutal you should make a coffee table book yeah all right yeah it's just dumb you know it's just like i don't want to exacerbate that division i don't care it's right like, i'd rather just ignore it and this is the rules is how we do it you know it's no shirt no shoes same shit yeah and and, and all it's about is just trying to keep the doors open right right it's that's the whole point it's like we're we're just Try to do our best so we don't have to shut down again or nobody dies on our watch, you know? That's yeah. It. Yeah. I mean, do you think you'd, you think you'd survive another shutdown? Hell no. <laughs> I introduced me. I don't know who's here. I don't know everybody that's here. Well, that's, uh, that's next to you is Gabe, uh, uh, with the blue shirt. And then that's Ben with the black shirt. Uh, you've met Gabe before he was on tour with us when we were all out with corrosion and conformity. Oh yes. Way back in the day. Way back in the day. Way, way back. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so you are one of the owners of Record Bar. You were in Season to Risk. You're in Roman Numerals. Like, to me, you are the definition of a lifer. You know, I mean, I can't think of many people who have done more to support and cultivate their local scene than you have. I mean, when did you get that sort of mentality or, you know, that kind of ethos? How did that come? How did you develop that? I mean, I, I guess, I mean, really, I, I mean, if you want to, I mean, it's going to sound cheesy, but like being a discovering punk rock and going mm -hmm. to like to the outhouse and, and D, this DIY thing where we're like, well, oh, we could, oh wait, we can do this too. Like, oh, how do they do this? We can do it too. And then like falling in love with SST shit, you know, the get in the van attitude. And we just, we just, me and uh, Malinowski and, and Dwayne Trower, Paul Malinowski and Dwayne Trower, who were in season risk, it, you know, and we all were like, well, let's go find a place to throw shows and, and let's do this and that. And you just start doing it. And, and yeah, you just start doing it and you do it and you get it. You, you have some success at it. I mean, no one's getting rich, but you have like, Oh wait, people really like this. This is fun. Right. And, and then it was all about, I mean, really it was self-serving. It's like, well, if we do this, then we can meet people that can get our band shows in other places and we can get off of this, you know, out of this town that 
that has only this much going on, you know, I'm not going to call it, you know, I almost called it a shithole, but by no means do I believe that, you know, like I really love this town. And I was like, but there wasn't a lot going on. Like, okay, we can do this and we can make cool things go on here, but we can also meet people that make cool things go on in other places and we can go there, you know, like that's, and that just, you just keep doing it and you keep doing it. And, and then I guess, Luckily, I didn't get beat up too much over, over the years over it. And even when there were major fails, you know, getting dropped from labels or, or, you know, f with record bar, you know, with COVID or losing our lease or whatever, you just kind of go like, well, we'll figure it out. You know, it's just it's that attitude of you. And, and I, I think there's something about, you know, like I said, maybe if you just feel lucky, but like I always been able to figure it out. And so you just kind of, you know, if I've been beat down a little harder, maybe, you know, I wouldn't be 53 and still doing it. I don't know. Yeah, I, I think like Kansas City is happening. Like every time I go there, I feel like there's a lot going on. And anytime I go out with you when I'm in Kansas City, you know everybody. Like you've got not fingers and pies. That, that doesn't sound right. But it, it just seems like you're fully integrated with everything that's going on in that town. Uh, I mean, I, you know, I don't want to take away from anybody else, but it seems like you've got a lot to do with what goes on in Kansas city. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I feel pretty connected, but I also feel it's changing rapidly and I'm also getting, you know, there is a point where my wife and I were having dinner tonight and we were talking about it. Like it wasn't like what point do you age out, but it's at what point do you make sure that you're not being a gatekeeper and that you like you, you let I mean, I feel like I've always tried to keep the gate swinging and let people come and go and try to, to you know, make sure I'm uh, letting all kinds of people, all kinds of bands, all kinds of music, all kinds of, of experience come through the door because that's what a rich life is, right? Mm -hmm. You know? But there's a certain point, you know, you kind of like, there's no way I'm, I'm covering all the bases or I'm, I'm definitely probably missing some things or you know there's probably some things i do that some people think oh i could never play there or i can't you know reach out to that guy and i'm like you know and i think at some point you do you have to kind of like i don't know how to do that that's kind of where i'm at in my life i don't i mean i as far as playing music and performing i think i'll always do that but as far as like uh trying to control the calendar and deal with these idiots uh. you know, i mean <laughs> and that's the customers i'm talking about i shouldn't call my customers idiots but we're in a weird time, you know, it's like, it's really weird shit going on that it, 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 uh, it's not, that, it's not as fun as it used to be. Uh, yeah. Like everything that was hard about it seems to be a little bit harder now. Right. And everybody's so privileged and, and, uh, it's, it feels like they're, I don't know. It's weird. Yeah. You would have thought that people sitting around for a year, year and a half would have made them more grateful to be out and about among their fellow man, but it's, it, it hasn't, they have become privileged. They're like, entertain me now. I'm ready. Do this yeah. for me. Do yeah. all this shit for me. Nobody's tipping their you know, assholes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, during the pandemic people, you know, we started that outdoor venue that went really well and people were very supportive and, and, and really caring about the artists and, um, and some people still are, but I mean, yeah. it's definitely, there's definitely, <laughs> the floodgates are open to a lot more of this like on-demand culture, you know, and it's, it's, it's weird. It's going to be interesting to, 
see how it pans out over the next year or so. Yeah, I can't believe we're still dealing with it. What was that like when uh, you you were out on playing bass with that band, The Sights, in July? What was that like for you? It was awesome. I mean, it was. It, I mean, it wasn't very long, you know. But uh, we came to Chicago, um, mm-hmm. and uh, I think Delta, Delta hadn't really like reared its ugly head yet, as as far as it was that magic you know, window of like yeah, minutes, and, maybe yeah. People felt like they were like, oh, oh okay we've done the right thing and we're doing the right thing. And like, we, we've managed to like, and, uh, it was really, it was really fun. Actually, the shows were really great and people were gracious and, um, yeah, it felt fresh, but it was crushed very quickly. (laughs) (laughs) What, What was your first band? What was that? I mean, first, like, you know, like band that never did anything band. Yeah. 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 Uh, my friend, uh, Dan Jones, mm-hmm. who, I, who I actually play with again, um, in a group called Dan Jones and the Squids, he and I uh, picked up guitars and bass in 1985 or something like that. And we wanted to be the Minutemen, but no one could be the Minutemen, you know? We didn't know how to play or anything, really. We were band geeks, you know? We played brass instruments, and we were like, we want to be punk rock. And this is the band that seems like us, you know? Right. And, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, fought like your guitar, no, your bass, same shit, almost like the same story of like Mike and Mike tells always about how he met D and everything that he did. And we, you know, played a couple high school parties and and things. And then he went off to, uh, there was another band in our, in our little suburban town called nine lives or spastic, but they're called spastic motive. It was like, Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't, I don't, I don't think you really have probably ever met any of those cats, but they, uh, they were, they were going down to Columbia, Missouri and playing, uh, what, I, I always love to say this. I went with them. I roadied for them for an anarchy benefit. <laughs> like, <laughs> it was like, it was like, a, that's, it was, I don't know why, but in my mind it was called an anarchy benefit, but it was like some benefit for fundraiser for some anarchy coalition or whatever, which seemed, you know, funny yeah. and re- retrospect. And I was like in, I don't know, ninth grade or something. And then they started going to St. Louis and we're like, Oh, they're getting out there. They played Ultraman out in St. Louis. And, mm. um, and then, uh, years later they we all kind of some they were like most of those guys were year older than me they went to scattered into different colleges and then dan uh went to iowa and i stayed in the kansas city area and they asked me to be their singer so i was in but we changed the name to nine lives and we got to open for fagazi and open for you know uh some straight edge bands out at the outhouse and kind of got in did a lot more of that kind of shit and and that kind of we were friends with the guys in Curious George, which were Paul and Dwayne. And then we kind of all, you know, you grow up and change and be, that's how season risk started. And what was that like opening up for Fugazi? Like, did that turn your head around? Oh, hell yeah. It was or amazing. your head was already turned around. Well, it was already turned around, but like nobody knew. I mean, we knew Fugazi was like, I, I was a rights of spring fanatic and, you know, and I like minor threat, but like it was no one had heard it. It was their first tour. Hmm. And yeah, the record wasn't even out yet. And uh, 
weirdly enough, it was an insane, awesome, amazing show and at, at uh, Bernard's Pub on the South Side. And I, I always remember like this, this cars everywhere. And I remember these little young uh, black kids who were break dancing outside. I remember this, they were like doing flips and going crazy. That's, that's, what, that's my big memory of it, like of that night. And then the next night we went to see him at the outhouse. And then like probably three or four years later, um, season to risk open for them down in Oklahoma city or yeah, nor maybe Norman. I don't know mm-hmm. for Fugazi again. And, uh, we got asked to play it and, uh, we played it for free cause we just wanted to go play it. Right. The promoter's like, I want you guys to come out and play the show. Like, okay. Yeah, we'll, we'll do it. At the end of the night, Ian comes up, he's like, you guys get paid i'm like oh no we did the show for free man he goes you guys aren't you're not from here you're from kansas city and i was like yeah it's cool he's like no no no, you come with me and he takes me up to the promoter's office at rome this place called rome and and uh he's like you got to give those guys some money (laughs) (laughs) and then and then we start chatting and ian's like i was like you know i actually opened for you uh, quite a few years back at in in st louis i was in a band called nine lives and he goes oh i remember nine lives that was you. You were the singer. You had those green and white striped pants. Yeah. And I was like, what? <laughs> yeah. Every time I see anything with Ian McKay, he, his memory is like an elephant. He remembers every show they've ever played. It's amazing. Yeah, there's something to not drinking, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so by that, so by this time, season of risk is going, and, and you, you've met, uh, you've met Dwayne, and you've met Paul, and and everything's going well, right? Yeah, I think at that point we had already when we that particular show and we had been signed and yeah, I think I think it was before I met you, but we were definitely like on our path of like like oh yeah, we're invincible, anything can happen. How did you get hooked up with Red Decibel? Well, that's a weird ass story. We um, good. We we just really like you know i had the book your own fucking life maximum rock and roll thing and we'd done some shows like that and we'd be like but there were just some things we hadn't really places we hadn't gone yet and we we're like wow, how do we so um Dwayne was working at ups so he had a pretty steady job and he made pretty good money at it but he 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 had figured out how to take some time off paul had figured out how to take some time off i was like just finishing up uh, I was in college, but it was like summer. Okay, we're going to summer, like, uh, let's all take a month off and we're going to book it. We're going to book a tour. And we'd made a demo in our tapes. We had our glossies. We did the whole thing, you know, like got our promo pack ready. And in Kansas City, there was a local um, uh, talent agency, booking agent, whatever the guy like. It was called Model Talent Charm. Mm. 19. Uh, 89, I guess. Not, no, no, it would have been nine, 90. 91 at the latest. And this guy, I remember his name, Robert Thursday, he said, I can probably help get you guys out. I can get you probably 30 days out in the Midwest or whatever. So we gave him 30 tapes because that's all it takes. And we're getting 30 tapes, we'll get 30 days, right? <laughs> and and uh, he uh, he never booked a single show. Like we just nothing came of it, you know. I think we ended up going to St. Louis and, and Chicago on our own, and that was about the time I was meeting Bob Pop, you know. Like we were mm-hmm. kind of putting our fingers out there and trying. We're just meeting people that could help us connect, and um, uh, I think it was like a year 
I don't think it was the fall of that year. It could have been though. I mean, it could have been the winter of that year that we wanted to go out, but I think it was the following year. And, you know, we'd started doing our own stuff and out of the blue, this guy, um, Brent Ashley calls from Red Decibel in Minneapolis and says, Hey, we've got your demo tape and uh, we really like it. We'd love you to come play Minneapolis and check you guys out, see what you're like live. I'm like, really? Cool. Like, how'd this guy get our demo tape? Right. No idea. Mm-hmm. I said, well, we'll come up, but can you book us like shows? Can you help us get shows on the way up? And, he, and he's like, well, we got this band, Rapscallion, and we got this band. They had all these like kind of metal bands, you know, um, a really an interesting avant-garde metal bands, really. They weren't, they were like real metal and art metal. And I guess I was like, you know, we didn't consider ourselves metal, but really we were, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, yeah. And, but we were like, okay, cool, you know. Um, we did a week worth of dates up there and uh, played for them and they really liked us and we really liked them and um, so on and so forth. They decided to sign us and, and they were working, Jake Wisely, the guy that owned the label was working on some side deals with Columbia and he was always kind of a mover and shaker guy. And they so the up- guy that was supposed to send your demos to clubs was sending them to labels? exactly and we and we found it out we found this out later because he was like it was probably who knows uh, a year or two later the office where their this uh, place was and check this out this is the be- even the best part of the story the office where the model talent charm was was vacating and someone was renting that space or something like oh there's all this shit here and found a bunch of your demo tapes we gave that guy 30 <laughs> tapes there were like 25 tapes. Yeah. <laughs> Sound five tapes and one of them got assigned. So right. it's weird. And then, and then he's working on a deal with Columbia. And before you know it, you're on Columbia through like no fault of your own, basically. Yeah. I mean, our drummer, Tim, you know, he was like, I don't, he didn't want to do the deal. We lost Tim over it because he's like, I, have it. I don't, I don't know about that label. You know, I think we, and I don't like, I kind of like, I think we should hold out. You know, we've got things going, Bruin. We should hold out and find that, you know, we should be on Sub Pop or whatever. Stan Indies, right? Okay. Yeah, you know, whatever it was. And so we lost him over the deal, but we're like, man, I just, we're just kind of like, opportunity knocks. You got to do stuff. Like, you can always do something else later. And that's kind of, not really going back to your first question. It's like, opportunity knocks. You open the door and you, you weigh the, you weigh it and you go, like, I, I want to do this. It's either, you know, it's not, we didn't sell our souls by any means. You know what I mean? No, it was like, it was just an opportunity to do a lot of cool shit. No, you were one of those bands that was like putting out really uncompromising records on, on a major label, you know? I mean, it's like you listen to something like Yank Crime and you're just kind of like, this is on a major label. You know, they thought that this was going to go, you know, yeah. you know, well, that was a few years later, you know, but, you know, that, but that, but that's what happened. They went out for everybody, like every major label and then started their fake indie labels, you know, and mm-hmm. it was all over the place. And a lot of great, amazing band. I mean, that we, we loved and looked up to and played plenty of shows with Girls Against Boys, Jesus Lizard, Brainiac, on and on, you know, uh, these bands got signed to major labels and did one record or sometimes two and, I don't think to anybody's detriment, you know, it's like, it just was a time and it was a lot of cool shit was made, you know? Yeah. 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 And it was, it was, uh, 
I mean, that's the thing. The major labels in the end never lose, but it just seemed like that there was a period where it was like, really, you know, we can get away with this, you know? And, and, and that, that was exciting, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's how, that's, that's how I felt. And that sometimes I'm like, well, maybe you probably should have taken more advantage of it. We're always telling them, no, nah, we don't want to do that. Or no, we don't want to, we don't You're trying to be an indie band on a major, basically? Yeah. And I think I sometimes, when I look back, and no regrets by any means, but I think I look back and I go, man, we should have spent more of their money. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> like maybe they would have stuck it out with us a little longer, you know, but because we didn't spend enough of their money. Like, Well, we met you when you guys were on tour with Corrosion and Conformity. Uh, you remember that, Gabe? I do remember it. It must have been somewhere in the south or oh, it was Florida. Uh, no, oh, well, it was in Canada. Yeah, that's right, <laughs> Southern Canada. Yeah, it was <laughs> Southern Eastern Canada. Um, Montreal. Montreal was. I don't know if that was the first show, but we definitely played Montreal together. And uh, I, it could be two things. Like I want to know that Monster Magnet was kind of getting like their single was going up above. They were you know, right, and they're like, "Oh, we have to fly to Japan." Um, we have to fly to Japan for a few days to go do some festival or do some thing, some promo thing. And, and like, they're like, Oh, you guys are, I'm like, you guys are going to move up to middle slot. I'm like, hell yeah. You know? And then, um, uh, and then, you, then, then you guys were there and kicking ass. And, and then I was like, I was like, but I always wondered if maybe they just couldn't get into Canada and that was their excuse that they were flying to Japan. <laughs> maybe somebody had a drug conviction. Yeah. You know how some of that stuff went down back in the day, but well, I yeah, what's this drug farm song? No, you guys aren't coming yeah, in. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Who knows? You know, but, but yeah, it was only like four shows maybe. Or it wasn't much. See, two or three. The know. reason Gabe's confused about the South is because we did shows with corrosion in the South. Our first shows with them were in Florida. I think the first show was in Orlando. Remember that Gabe? Yes. I remember we, all those shows. We walked up and Woody comes up and was like, Hey y'all, how you doing? <laughs> yeah. But so we did a couple weeks or three weeks or something with them. And then, and then we were trying to get that tour that you got. Okay. I forgot it was in Canada. Yeah. Yeah. I, I vividly remember the hotel room in Canada hanging out with you after the show. Like, remember the light and everything. I can see it. Like, well, I was super jealous because I wanted to, you know, because we couldn't get tours. That was really tough for us to get tours back then. Yeah. Where they, people were confused. They're like, wait, what? <sighs> Two dudes doing all that? I was confused. But I remember, I remember Gabe on the side stage now, like, like just rocking the fuck out. <laughs> Like, almost like a, almost like a flavor flame. I'm like, you know, like, yes. Like, like our Bez. Yeah. From happy Mondays. Yeah. Happy you know. Mondays. He's yeah. got had all the drugs and he just danced. Yeah. You know, I was, I was watching a rocket from the crypt video from 95 and they had their side guy up there for a while. And, and I, and I thought that that's what you wanted me to do for a while, but I can't dance. So I wasn't going to do any of that. Did you have a whistle? I had a whistle. Yeah. I had you a kazoo. A yeah, I yeah. Had a tambourine. I had a xylophone or a, a what do you call it? I don't know. I had all uh, kinds of gimmicks on stage. Yeah, you had his. You had a xylophone. I had a xylophone. You could on a rope that you put around your your neck so you could play it. <laughs> yeah. Like, what song yeah, was like, he playing xylophone for? Oh, he was probably playing that. I don't think he was doing that until Pack Up the Cats. But all these things did not endear us 
to the collision <laughs> conformity crowd. Not at right. all. Yeah, I, I felt like an idiot up there with the tambourine in front of the crowd with, you know, corrosive conformity. It's like, oh, who the hell is this guy? You know. I know. I'm up, there, I'm up there wearing my thick rim glasses. And, <laughs> and none of this endeared me to uh, Pepper, by the way, either. He'd call me alternative boy all the time. What, what's going on, alternative boy? I was yeah. like, oh, God. Uh, we our we played with we did a big tour with Fudge Tunnel and the paintings and nice. we should we showed up in Rhode Island for the first show and I probably had I had some like purple hair or some shit you know like and uh, 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 Alex was like he kept calling me fucking uh, Stone Temple <laughs> hey so, so hey what's up Stone Temple I'm like you're gonna get fucking punched like <laughs> fucking chill your fucking British ass out like. Well, we became really good friends with them, but he, that's what he called me the first first few days. And I was like, not having it, dude. Not having not it. Having it. Yeah. You went, I mean, you guys went on tour with a lot of bands. Like, it was, I was looking at the list earlier of the bands you went on tour, and it's it's pretty fucking crazy. We got uh, Jesus Lizard. We played uh, only two shows, maybe three with them over the years. How fun was that? Oh, he's amazing. Yeah. Oh, he's just incredible. And, and such a good time. I mean, they're such good dudes. Yeah, wonderful people. Yeah. Bark Market? That was two different tours. One was about a month and one was just a couple of weeks. But, Wait, yeah. is that my guy, Dave Sardi? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Motherfucker. That's okay. your guy. Got it. Prong. <laughs> that was our very first time getting out of the Midwest. Um, went up to, and that was another weird story. We, we, we had just gotten signed. The record wasn't out. Um, I don't think we'd even recorded the record yet. Maybe we just started. I can't remember. And uh, there was a guy that was trying to manage us. Anyway, it was us, Big Chief, and Prong. Big, oh. you know, Big Chief, Barry from Necros. Dude, I think I saw this. I saw this show. It was at the I, Ava- was at the Avalon in Chicago. Mm, I, I didn't see that one. I saw one like in somewhere in Wisconsin, I think I saw this tour. We did, we only had like a handful of shows with them. We played the outhouse. Um, we played Chicago, we played St. Louis. And then I think we went out to Oklahoma city and then, but, but I can't remember the order. I think it was can't, it was, it was a lot of weird routing, but in Chicago, uh, the tour manager for big chief and, and Barry, did not, oh, Barry did not get along with the tour manager for Prong or, or Prong in general. And Barry Hensler? Yeah. Yeah. Just different kind of people, different kind of like mm-hmm. New York and, I don't know, New York, Detroit, I don't know, whatever. <laughs> I don't right. know what the, the, the beef was, but the, the tour manager was like, they just did not get along at all. And we got to Chicago and Barry's like, we're fucking done. We're out. We're off. We're out of this. And we were like, and we only, that was like the end of our trip with them. It was just, we got these four shows or whatever. And uh, I'm like, I was like, Paul and I are talking to, uh, to uh, oh, Troy, bass player. We got along from Prong at the time. We really got along with Troy. And, uh, and uh, oh gosh, brain is not working out. Uh, Ted, drummer, Ted Parsons also in the swans and stuff but we are and, and tommy was cool but we like you know talk to those guys like, what, we want to can we do the rest of the tour we'll take their spot and he goes and talk to tommy I'm like, i don't care that sounds cool you know call your agent or whatever and we 
you know, we didn't really have an agent. We just everybody we can think. <laughs> and uh, they said, sure, you can do this, this, and this. And I'm like, you got to drive from Oklahoma City to mm. Portland or Salt yeah. Lake City? <laughs> all right, all right, we'll do it. We're the shittiest man. We'd never been out. And so we went all the way up to um, Portland with them. And then we got a phone call that we were getting from our, we all lived in like a little, you know, commune house with all the girlfriends there were like 10 of us living in this house and we were getting evicted and, and the uh because they found out we had too many people living there mm-hmm. they're like and we were we were thinking we'd just get up there and just figure it out well that we'd be done with them but we'll just go down the west coast and we'll get the book your own life out and we'll do this and that and we're like no nah, you got to come home and get out of your house in a week or whatever no we blazed home that van rolled right up in front of the house and died and we left it there with half of our shit on the on the curb and that was that was uh, that was the end of that van it was the end of that van and that house and i think even that girlfriend possibly <laughs> <laughs> so when did you do that you had this thing in that movie strange days like mm-hmm. what was going that, on there now we were and did in- you get to hang out with Catherine bigelow yeah, no, I did uh, uh, stood behind her a couple times watching watch her work. Um, oh yeah, yeah, it was super cool, and that that was insane. Um, we were in New York recording at BC Smart BC. We lived in New York in Brooklyn for like a whole summer, writing and recording at BC Studios. And um, did you get friendly with a lot of the Swans guys? Or, um, um, you know. I, I, no, okay. I mean, I met, you know, met some of them around them, but no, no, we didn't get friendly. Um, that's really when I became friendly with Unsane, though, about that time. Okay. And, uh, uh, you know, Martin would take me out to weird New York parties, and we went to some party at John Stanier's house. It was really fun one night. And oh. Fetus almost punched me, and, <laughs> or he threatened to punch me. What'd you do? Nothing. Just okay. talk. Just talked to his girlfriend. Oh, I guess so. But I knew her from the studio, and that's how. And then I met him, and he's like, and then I don't know if it was the same night that he said this. Like, there's, I ran into Thurwell a few times over the years, and one time he said, he goes, it's like season of risk. I can't. I'm not even going to try to do my Australian accent, but he's like season of risk. Can't remember. Season of risk. Shudder to think. I fucking hate one of you guys. <laughs> <laughs> But I met him again years later, and I don't I, I, either. He, yeah, who knows? But he's a he was he's a character. He's brilliant, brilliant artist. But, um, yeah, uh, that was cool. But anyway, we were there and um, for a whole summer, and then Dwayne. It was real all coincidental, but all this stuff happened at the same time. But Dwayne was getting tendonitis from like doing all these weird Dwayne things over yeah. and over. And we were, you know, on two inch tape and doing the rewind and. And it was all old school, super old school, you know, and it just took a lot of time. And, and uh, he wrote some really just intricate guitar lines on that record. He just like got major tendonitis. He's like, I Does he still it. have it? He, I think he struggles with it, but I think he's done a lot of acupuncture. And I, I mean, um, you know, he doesn't play that intricate. And we just did, we just did some shows recently and he definitely, he was doing this, you know, but mm-hmm. he's got, a, he's got his, exercises routine. yeah, yeah he, he knows how to deal with it um i mean that was i'm going to tell you how it was 1995 so uh 
but we we're getting ready to take a break and out of the blue our manager hits us up with this calls us says hey uh i got i got you on this movie they want us on they know you're in the studio now they want you to um they don't want anything off the record though they want you to write something when do we have to be out? When do we have to be out there? Like you got a week, mm. and we're like, and they're like, it's this very apocalyptic film, and it's we want something just intense. They were looking at suicidal tendencies and the cows, and <laughs> and um, but we think we got you locked in. Write something and send it over. And so we started working on this thing. Gherkin had been playing drums on the record. We he'd already flown back to go do the Molly Maguire record. Mm-hmm. We called Chad, or our drummer that was just getting ready to quit or was leaving. He's like, "I'll come do it," you know. And um, it and it all happened because this girl that Chad or, that was dating worked in the Sony Studios in L- in Santa Monica, and the music director for um, the film was hanging out in the lobby and was chatting her up and blah, blah, blah. And I'm looking, you know, telling her what he was looking for. And she's like, oh, I got the perfect band for you. I actually, or that was, oh, whatever, it doesn't matter. Too many people. They, got, I've got some roughs of their new record and she gave it to him. And that's how mm-hmm. it that connected. Um, just coincidental shit, you know. Wrote the stuff. We mixed it on New Year's Eve. Dropped acid. Watched the Brooklyn blow up with fireworks. Limo picks us up, takes us to the airport, flies us to LA. Takes Wait, us- so you're dropping acid on the set of Strange Days? No, the night before. Okay, <laughs> you're still in New York. Okay, sorry. We get to, but they take us straight to set. They go on this. It's the old LA Times um, newspaper. There's hundreds of people everywhere. I mean, it was seriously like I don't know. It felt like I felt like Pee Wee Herman going into the you know like mm-hmm. like so bizarre and. They take us to the this trail at this truck that's wardrobe and they're like taking photos of us. I'm signing my SAG papers and they're like, Could you take your shirt off? I'm like, oh, okay, that's your costume, you know, and like <laughs> don't you know, don't you make sure you show up to set just like this every day. And they give us a trailer and we were next to um uh this woman from Lala Human Steps. She was like the she had the white dreads in the film and she was a Lala Human Steps is a Montreal um, dance troupe that done stuff with Bowie and Neubauten and all this stuff. Mm. I was like, I think I knew who she was almost immediately from seeing Bowie. And uh, who else was on there at that time? Um, Juliet Lewis's band was coincidentally like the people that actually she recorded those songs with in the studio. One, the fiddle player was from Kansas City. He was in Shooting Star. Uh-huh. Uh, the guitar player we had a mutual friend with. He was in a high school band with Stone Temple dude. He had photos he was showing us from uh-huh. when they were a hair metal band. And then the drummer was, uh, oh my God, I'm not gonna remember his name. Plays with Devo and and Perfect Circle and everybody. Okay. You know what I'm talking about? No. He's a, one of the best drummers. In, uh, in, oh, Josh, Josh Freeze. Josh, Josh Freeze, yeah. Right. And we had so much fun with Josh on set. It was super good times. But. That was two weeks of, it was just, it was, I still, it feels like a dream still, you know, it was super so cool. So you just up there doing the song over and over and over. Yeah. Or, but there was a lot of like, they wanted us, we were, they, they shot so much extra shit. They had 700 extras for one week for five days and weekends were off. 
And then one week where it was less extras, but like maybe like a hundred, but they had us backstage, you know, and he's, all those scenes where you see Juliet's backstage, you know, and, and they're having band chatter and, and uh, we're sitting just off camera. Like they, they always wanted us in scenes. There was one scene where um, Angela Bassett was, was running down this thing and she, she was pushing everybody around and she, but she accidentally in acting, she knocked me on my ass. Mm-hmm. And like, and I was like, and she's like, oh my God, oh my, and she picked me up and I was like, I was like, that ain't good. You know, <laughs> none of it, you don't see any of it. The, the, what you do see in the film is our tour manager. Uh, you see him way, almost more than you see us. Cause he, he, he had a bunch of tattoos and he was, you see him walking around just randomly. There's, there's we call him greasy. Um, uh, and you just see him walking around. There he goes, like on a catwalk, and there he is, just walking through. And he's in the movie. It's like almost more than we are. It's hilarious. Right. So after your little Hollywood adventure, you go back and finish the record. Yeah, right. Dwayne took a month off. I went on the road with Molly McGuire as just roadie for a little bit, and then it had a blast. And then all the way out to Seattle, and then I flew back to New York, and Dwayne came back and he was recuperated and we spent another month wrapping it up. And then the record comes out and what happened then? Like they're when, like, what, yeah. Yeah, yeah, they're like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> what the fuck is this record? But I mean, that that's, and that's the tour though. It was that record that we did the tour with COC, I believe. And it just come out. I think it wasn't the first one, was it? Oh, it wasn't. I thought, uh, I thought that was the in a perfect world. Yeah, tour. that's that's the second record. Oh, that's the second record. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, which was just unrelenting and heavy and and, and noise like uh, but uh yeah, we did that tour and then we did a we did uh after that we did a tour with Shiner and then it just kind of all went shit. They dropped you and you know, the same old story. They dropped us, the booking agent dropped us, everybody, you know, it, but, but we had already, we had just done a huge, uh, like publishing deal and a merch deal. Like it was like, it was weird, but it was just kind of, but it was at the time they were just like, I don't know what, it, I always jokingly chalk it up to the Michael Jackson just put a record out that they put like billion, like a billion dollars into or some shit and mm-hmm. it, it, it didn't do well. and. And then I think Columbia just like, just went, <laughs> just, just like dumped so many bands at that right. time. Right. Right. Yeah. Like, okay. What are we the dream do? of the nineties flamed out. Yeah. Yeah. It just kind of was, you know, and we were just like, all right. But Paul left and then, you know, he kind of like jumped ship over to Shiner because Shiner was kind of like, they hadn't signed any, you know, they were on indie still. They had signed, they hadn't, you know, they were kind of like, you know, Al will tell you like they, they were always kind of getting flirted with, but they never kind mm-hmm. of did that yeah. de- that deal, and and it made sense. You know, it's like whatever. And so, but, but Dwayne and I just like, all right, what do we do next? And we just keep charging on. You know, find some other people to play with, and and keep writing the weird shit that we wanted to write. You know. Well, what kept you going? Didn't know what else to do, really. You yeah. Know? I mean, really, in a certain way, it's like what well, this it was. You know. Nearly at that point, I mean, it wasn't 10 years, but eight years of your life feels like 80 years of your life when you're that age and you're, you know, and you're kind of like, well, what's my identity? What am I, what am I doing? What am I going to do? I was like, well, I'm 
clearly going the artist path. I'm going to keep doing it. You know, it's like, you know, I'll have to do side jobs. We'll figure out the side hustles and, and you do that. And, and, you know, you change a little bit and you learn a little bit and you keep, you keep going. I think there's one of two ways that you can react to that. You can go, well, fuck this. This is over. And the other is like, I never needed you in the first place. You know, you're, you weren't going to define my self-worth. You know, I can go somewhere else and make records. Yeah. I think, I think like, like I said, I think we'd already done so much stuff independently before that, you know, like starting at 18, you know, that, uh, Sorry, just got a text message from Sean about something. Oh my God. Are you upstairs? No, I'm at my house. Okay. We just got our SVOG supplementary um, money. All right. It's a big deal. That'll get us through the winter for sure. Hooray. Big deal. Nice. Um, Cheers. Yeah, indeed. we'd done so much independently beforehand that you just kind of like this, you know, that's the, who you think you are. Like the getting signed to the major label and having all that stuff, just to me, it was, we were always very much like, this is, this is just weird. You know, it's somebody like if the, we, you know, we had that flood and we invested after, you know, we got dropped, we invested the, the, the bit of money that we had saved up. We, we always were very collective uh, with, we'd ever, divvied everything up. We put it in a bank account and we collectively drew every month. Everybody drew an equal amount and we still had mm-hmm. some money. And when Paul quit, we had to give him his share, but we're like, okay, it's kind of disappearing. We don't have a major label anymore. We don't have tour support anymore. Let's invest in something. And so we built a recording studio and, you know, um, within two years, it, it was all flooded. It was under six feet of water and we didn't have insurance or anything like, so that was all gone. And then Dwayne and I both were kind of like, well, it was never really our money anyway. So, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, you know what I mean? It's like, like, I mean, did we earn it? I mean, sure. We, we had the talent, but did, I mean, we worked really hard, but did we earn it? No, I was just like, I don't, you know what I mean? It just kind of, just a yeah. weird, just a weird no. attitude. Like, <sighs> well, here it, goes. it comes and it goes. But I mean, but do you understand, Steve? That's the kind of thing that would have crushed somebody else. They would have just said, "Fuck this! It's not worth it." And you didn't do that. Yeah. I mean. <laughs> so what? Your thoughts? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Like I'm not some Zen master or anything. It's just kind of like maybe you are. But uh, I get I have my anxiety and stress over all kinds of shit. But, yeah. But I just felt you know, just kind of like he it's i always think even like i mean it's amazing that the svog then the national independent venue association if you don't know what i'm talking about the state shutter venue operators grant is something that got pushed through we worked like last summer i was on zooms all the you know you know yeah. with government people and this and trying to you know i i by no means that the real work was done by not me i just like a little tiny person saying yes go and doing everything i could on our end to 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 get people in government from our standpoint to listen and it, they got it through. It was magical. And, but we only got, uh, we got awarded 70% of it right in the nick of time. Um, and then, uh, we recently got, uh, um, offered the 
supplementary to get the the thirty the rest of thirty percent, and it just came through. I was working on it all all week. Now we have to make sure we do it right and make sure we spend it on the right things, and we have to prove that we do it. And they can audit us any second, and right. they're going to be in our pocket. I mean, they're going to be up our ass for probably the rest of my life. But no, seeing these people here in Chicago going through the same thing, and like you realizing that these club owners are being asked to be politicians now. And, you know, it, it's, I mean, I, I guess owning a club is kind of that in a way, but uh, did you ever think you'd have to be put in that position, you know? No, I mean, I always said, I always said like, there's like, I don't even know how I said it, but it was like, I never, I never want, I don't want to go to jail. I don't want to go into the military. I don't want to go to church and I don't want to ever have to go into politics, you know, like if I can steer clear of all that shit, then I've lived a good life. You know, that was, that's your list. That's pretty much it. Yeah. I have a very similar list. What's your list, Scott? I, I don't uh, ever want to be on a reality television show. <laughs> I don't ever want to sue anybody. And I don't ever want to have sex with a hooker. That was that was my list. Shit, uh, I've done all three of those on this yeah. reality show. No, yeah, kidding. yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, that's Steve, a good list. I like that. Steve, having having been on the other end of it for so many years, when it came to the record bar, what were the things that were most important to you about how you wanted it to be and what you wanted to make sure? I, it I mean, was like, I think when we. Really, opening record bar came out of like definitely okay. The music thing is it's I'm getting older and you know I can still go out and do stuff and we can still, you know. And I had my fingers in trying to promote shows and I was working in the bar and I was like trying to you know help make that stuff go and and my friends still were people I was playing music with. We were all kind of like, well, we can do this and this and and it really came down to like okay, well, what what are you going to do next in case someone says, no, we don't want to book you anymore. Or no, we don't want to, you know, and, and granted that stuff that wasn't, wasn't really making income. It was working in the clubs that how I paid my, you know, way to go do that stuff. And, um, I just was like, well, someday we'll, we'll have our own place. Sean, my partner, Sean, and I were always like, someday we'll have our own place. It'll be like this and this. We had all these ideas and stuff. And just out of the blue, um, these guys, these Irish dudes I knew owned this Irish pub and they were sick of it. And they had heard we'd been looking. I, I was always looking, going, looking at buildings or talking to people, you know, giving, talking too much. You know? mm-hmm. <laughs> like, oh, you got you to gotta buy us. Got to buy us out. I'll give you a good deal, you know. You can have everything, you know, and I don't, you know, no way. And then we look at the numbers and, and, uh, at this point, my father passed away and he was, uh, I was always telling him, he's like, what are you going to do? What do you, that's what I'm going to do. And so when he died, you know, he had a little, I got a little insurance money and I said, you know what, I'm going to use it all on doing what I told him I was going to do with my life. So, yeah. but, but I'm like, it's going to be like, it's going to be like all the best places we ever played, you know? I mean, obviously we don't have the funds to do that. We didn't have the infrastructure to do all that, but we did it as best we could to be like um, seventh street entry or the empty bottle or um, turf club or, you know, um, 
trying to think some others, the Casbah or whatever, like mm-hmm. the, the places, the, the favorite places where bands were treated like they were artists and they were treated with respect and, and it sounded good. And the people that worked there cared. It wasn't just like, oh, who's this fucking jackass? You know? Right. <laughs> so, like, you know, what you get, like every, all the other days you get that. Right. Well, well, that's our number one goal. I mean, if I answered your question, that's kind of what we wanted it to be. You know, and I think it's almost 17 years later, I think that's why we're still here. But, you know, that's why Scott will play our club and not the club that's now a business. So. Yeah. Nothing yeah. against those guys but on my end. But, you know, you know what I'm talking about. I know exactly what you're talking about. I love playing your place. We love um, having you. Sorry, uh, we got COVID and, and couldn't play that last show. I know. Yeah, you're gonna come down for Radkey and just surprise everybody, Joe. Yeah, yeah, maybe I will. You know, I don't have much else going on. You can you can play and drop a grand. You can, yeah, yeah, that's it. You just need a mask, you know. Right. Well, fuck you. I'm not doing that if that's the case. <laughs> can be a just a disintegrating mask. Yeah. Who's uh Who's uh in the scene now that you're really excited about? Uh, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of cool stuff. I mean. There's all different kinds of, obviously I love Red Key. I'm so excited for what they got going on. Um, there's all kinds of, I mean, it, I, uh, I don't know. I like, like Bummer's a blast. We got to play with them down in Texas a few, um, seasoners did a few weeks back and they're so just blisteringly brutal and heavy. There's a, yeah. another crazy cool noise band called Abandoncy that I really like. Um, mm-hmm. But um, I don't know. Frog Pond had a reunion show this weekend. And I heard about that. Their new record is epic. It's so good. And they, I mean, they packed the house and they owned it. It might have been, you know, with all respect to, to one of my good friends, Billy, that passed away that used to be their drummer. It might have been their best show ever. Mm. So good. They, they just, their new material is great. I mean, it's still Frog Pond. It's like Heidi, you know, but uh, yeah. But their harmonies were on, like the, the the riffs are cool. It's just felt it just was really fun. Yeah. Yeah, I heard. That's pretty cool. So, so I'm excited for for you know that. But there's a there's a bunch of interesting young bands. There's a, a woman that moved here. Uh, maybe I don't know if you've heard of her. She was in Chicago. And when she was in Chicago, she had a full um a full rock band. Um, but since she's been here, and I think maybe she did it there before she came here, but she's loops she just does uh performances she loops her voice mm-hmm. she keeps building and, and building these like really haunting soulful but like dark stuff and then she does a lot of um cover um material like she's done a bunch of bjork stuff but she goes by um, um she speaks in uh she speaks in tongues you ever heard of her Kate, no. uh, katie uh shoot i would have to go look it up but uh that, that's the, that's what she goes under she speaks in tongues yeah and I had her, uh, she had played minibar once. I'm, I was just emailing with her earlier today, trying to find her another show. She'd moved down here during COVID. And uh, I don't know why she chose Kansas City, but I think she maybe is, uh, maybe teaches at a Montessori or something. Or I can't, I don't know. I don't want to speak out of turn. I don't, I don't, not really know. Me, but, but I love what she does musically. She's intense and it's beautiful and dark and, and also like, here you know yeah all all checks all the boxes yeah 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 Yeah. 
Well, dude, thanks for talking to us, and I'm congratulations on getting the funds. Whew. I can't believe it. Sean just sends me the text. It's just like it's just a bank account with a circle and a question mark. Like he doesn't know. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, really cool. And I, you know, I think a lot of people could learn a lot from you. And you know, just the way you've always bet on yourself, and you know, the way you've conducted yourself. I think it's, I think it's commendable. And you Thank know, you. I've said this to you many times, but uh, I've got nothing but major major respect for you for whatever that's worth oh, I, I i appreciate it but i don't without the people around me you know like that's i mean not trying to be humble but it's like i got a good circle I got oh, a yeah team. i got a good team and and we all like it's open communication you know that's the key i think with anything i mean so that's why i always want to talk on things like this too it's like Sometimes I may sound like a jackass, but I'm like that I just transparent and share information. You know, that's how it all works. Yeah. But, yeah. All right, man. No, no politics. No politics. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, not. You're like, you're going to be mayor someday. Fuck you. I'm going to be living in a jungle someday. <laughs> <laughs>